I'm Heather, a chaos coordinator and mom of three young kids. Chaos and cookies is literally my life, with never-ending dishes, laundry, you name it. Being a mom is a blessing, but it also comes with hard days too. Together, we can find the humor and real solutions to lighten your load and clean up the crumbs. You're listening to the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. We are talking uh, anxiety. We're going to jump into the topic of divorce, I think, today. Uh, I mean, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that when I have guests, it just, you'll never know where it'll go. So we'll see what happens. But um, today I have Dr. Andrew Blackwood on the podcast. Um, before I bring him on, let me give you a little background about Andrew. Uh, for more than 17 years, mental health professional, Dr. Andrew L. Blackwood, affectionately known as Coach Drew has been connecting deeply with individuals, parents, and teens to support their growth and healing through speaking, coaching, and workshops on his book, The Art of a Genuine Apology, and his parenting program. Oh, we all need to learn the art of an apology. And uh, they uh, help them be brave um, is uh, his parenting program. Andrew's personal journey through anxiety and childhood divorce helps him appreciate the painful challenges of those he works with, earning a master of uh, divinity in counseling and a doctor of ministry to marriage and family. Uh, He's prepared him to serve well as a clinician, a guest expert and media consultant on shows like 100 Huntley Street, The Protect the perspective and the 700 club in Canada, his remarkable ability to engage and bring clarity to the complex challenges of healing and relationships sets him apart as a true facilitator of change. His desire to impact relationship culture worldwide is made uh, personal daily as he continues to learn, heal, and grow in his most prized relationships with his wife and his two daughters. Please welcome Dr. Andrew Blackwood to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you for being here. I'm excited. This is perfect. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Heather. Absolutely. So whereabouts in the country are you? I live in Canada. I am in St. Catharines, which is near Niagara Falls. It's in the Niagara region. So just across the border from Buffalo. It's beautiful there. I've been there. I've got family in Buffalo. And then I've been trekked across. It's it's very cold. Um, <laughs> I'm in Texas and it's warm. I mean, it's it chilly here. But um, before we dive in, uh, I have an icebreaker for you. And that is, what is your favorite cookie and or cookie memory? Well, it changes. Um, right now, I'm really loving the maple leaf shaped cookies with the maple flavored filling. I'm, I'm really loving that. And they have a gluten-free and dairy-free brand because you don't want to know what happens to me when I eat gluten and all that good <laughs> stuff. So um, yeah, so that's that's my favorite right now. Awesome. It's very um, on, on point with the Canadian flag. <laughs> Is that and like that, a thing? It wasn't intentional. It's just, it changes every now and then. That's so fun. Well, um, do you cook or does your wife cook? And how old are your daughters as well? We both cook and different seasons, it changes. So it's more her than me as of late. Um, And our daughters are nine and six. 
Oh yeah. Good ages. My oldest just turned nine in November and then I have a seven and a half and five and a half year old. So. Oh, nice. Hands are full. It's fun. Um, <laughs> I think once you get to that five-year mark, you're like on the other side of it. Cause they become like big kid and they're in like real school. So mm-hmm. you've got get two some, daughters. Get some time back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They're getting a little bit more, um, they're, they're getting along more and everything like that. So I went over a little bit about your background. And so tell me, so we anxiety, you're, you're a, a little background for me is I'm, I'm on the tail end of my divorce. And so I also suffer from a lot of anxiety. It's also just a very tense thing to go through. And so mm-hmm. you mentioned that you are, um, a child of divorce. And right. so take me through a little bit more about where that's brought you today. Oh yeah, for sure. So I remember <laughs> this was totally unexpected. I, I was the parentified child. I was the one who was like protective of my mother and you know, all that stuff. So on the day of the divorce, cause our, my, my dad was contesting it. So it went all the way to like superior court and I went to go support my mom, but I ended up actually being called into the courtroom and, and the judge asked me basically, can your dad come home? So I stood there with my dad on one side and my mom on the other side. And I was just like, I knew what I had to do. I said, no, like he can't live in the house without interacting with us. So I was the reason, the last reason why oh, my dad wow. couldn't come home. How old um, were you at that time? Uh, I was 13. Wow. I was 13. So it was it was a rough go. And I and honestly, I didn't really even process that moment until many, many years later. Um, so I, I'm aware of the many different kinds of dynamics that happen and the hurt and the pain that happen when families get torn apart for one reason or another. And it's so easy, even me as a 13-year-old, I remember saying some painful things to my dad, be like, if you were a good dad, a good husband, this wouldn't have happened, right? You know, 13-year-olds, they know everything. Um, And then as I got older, I started to realize that people are human. (laughs) They're actually (laughs) imperfect and they don't know everything and they don't do everything right, myself included. So the core of my book, The Art of a Genuine Apology, is really based on the idea that um, there's no such thing as a perfect person. And we it's important for us to be prepared to address emotional injury, emotional pain with care and competence. Like good intentions aren't good enough because my dad always had good intentions, but they didn't work out so well, right? Mm. So it, it's... Um, and I, and I can relate. I'm a dad. I've been a mental health professional for 17 years and I still don't always get it right. But it's good for me to be able to address the emotional pain that I cause or that I see my children in um, with, uh, with clarity and intention. And there's, there's a way to do it and there are ways to not do it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And for me, so I um, have to have, we have parenting coaches that are involved with me and my ex-spouse. All my kids are in therapy because I'm trying to make sure that they're able to process it without me coming in and, and influencing it. And I've learned so much about just, you are trying not to be like, you don't want them to portray the bad traits of why 
things didn't work out, but at the same time, you're looking at it as a, you have to look at as a kid who they have both mom and dad in them and the parts of mom or dad, depending, like they don't want to feel like it's good or, or a bad thing, you know? And so it's a very delicate dance because you want them to grow and be, but some of the things they do, I'm like, you know, (laughs) but you don't want to be like, don't act like your father because then they're going to be like, oh, then that's bad. And then all that. Right. And so it's until I learned that it was, it's so, you know, the whole, like, you don't say bad things about the other. That's really a reason why, because you don't want, right. Yeah. 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 There's there as parents, we get concerned when we see particular behaviors in our, in our children and we react to that, right? We imagine if this continues, like, where are you going to end up? And, you know, the definition, what a simple definition of anxiety is a picture of the future that is negative. Mm. So if you imagine a negative future, whether it's for you or for your child, it's going to register in your body as anxiety and you're going to feel that. And then we tend to live based on what we feel. And, you know, so it's, it's good to be able to realize that, but also be able to say, okay, this is what I get to do. (laughs) I get to dial it back, breathe and calm myself. And then we get to look beyond the behavior to what is the actual motivation for the behavior. Um, and that's one of the things I talk about in, in, in the course as we sort through with parents, because if we just approach the behavior, then we are, we are so into the right and wrong of it. And like you're saying, kids can react and then they internalize that and say, oh, I must be bad. Yes. Yes. And I just had this conversation with another guest about how, and, and we don't do it on purpose, but as people or as parents, we're always trying to, um, be a few more steps ahead and, and try to help our children not experience what we experience. But in the end, it's, we have to remember that they're their own person and that they may or may not react to the same situation. Like we personally did because they're not us. And so not to, uh, not allow them to experience it the way and, and help them you know, grow as a person with their own experiences and not put our past onto them. 100%. I totally, I totally get that. And we come to our parenting with our own experiences. And again, we often parent from a place of like, don't do that. Cause I know what's yeah. going to happen if you do that. Right. Which we do. We always do. Right. right <laughs> At least right. with like cause and effect and you're going to fall like, right. Right. It's (laughs) it's loving. Right. That, and, and the challenge that I've found personally and professionally, when we parent with the, from a place of fear again, then what we end up doing is unintentionally, we, we come across as controlling, right? right? We tell them what they can't do, what they shouldn't do. And we forget about who they actually are as a person, the wonderful traits and, and the wonderful life that they're going to have. We don't see that. We're more focused on the life that we don't want them to have, right? Yeah. So then we we parent from that place of fear. So one of the first things that I encourage people to do is create a vision 
for what you want this child to experience? How do you want them to grow? And you start to buy into that and you parent from that place because they have these wonderful traits and these abilities. And when we remember that, then we talk about that and then we empower them and we parent through that lens and it makes a world of difference. It's incredible. Kids are very, they are very, like you don't give them enough credit. They watch and see everything. They, things might not register. Like my, my son was four. He's now five. Things are just now being spoken about like they happened yesterday Mm -hmm. and we're having to weave through it. And it's like, that was last year. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize that that was something that he was processing and the way that he saw it and he remembers, or maybe it's bits and pieces from his brother and sister. We just don't know, but things are, they're just being absorbed. And when you're trying to control the situation and trying to, which I was doing at the very beginning. And then I've with my anxiety and trying to tone it down with everything, it's like, what will happen will happen. They're going to have to learn for themselves and then they can make the decision. And if I need to step in, then I will, but they learn quickly. And when you make mistakes more than once, they're starting to understand like it's a pattern and they're just like, yeah, we aren't surprised or they're not as upset. It might still hurt, but it's letting them have their own relationship with like their dad or their own experiences and trying to just keep it very difficult, right? Because when it was a very unpredictable environment before, and then I don't have any say into the environment where they go into without me. It's like, mm-hmm. Ooh, it's so hard. Like Christmas is coming. I did everything for Christmas. I don't have them this year. So it's like, how do I make sure they have a good experience? But I have to remember it's not my problem when it comes to, uh, helping that go along or it's not my problem, but not like my responsibility that's yeah. going to be on. Yeah, you're not in control of what's going to happen. And it is a very vulnerable place to be. Um, Being ready. It's almost shifting it to being like, I'm prepared and have a good idea of what's going to happen. So I need to just be prepared on how I'm going to handle the fallout and more like likely just planning for that instead. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think without necessarily predicting negative things one of the places that we can attempt to land is appreciating that we have the ability to handle whatever happens Mm. god willing (laughs) yeah yeah no 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 definitely definitely like you will be able to handle it like you will be able to handle it I i really believe that I really believe that that's been my saving grace. I I think God helps us um, and he helps us to handle whatever is coming down the road. And um, that's part of what keeps me as a professional and as a human being, as an imperfect human being, I'm learning today is going to be, today might be a difficult day, but I'm going to get through the day. I'm going to learn from this day and I'm going to be better the next day. Right. 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 That, yeah. So I, I, th- I think that frame of reference helps me. And to your point, when we start to believe that for our kids, it helps us to help them say, okay, 
yeah, it, there may be some challenges, but you're going to be okay. And, you know, one of the um, things that I really talk about in the program is quite often anxiety leaves us feeling powerless. It leaves us feeling small and weak and, you know, but we don't realize there's great power in the things that we can do, right? Yeah. There's things that we will always be able to do. And one of the things that I really, really, really love is listening. Listening is the lifeblood of any relationship. So mm -hmm. I, I encourage parents to listen as if your relationship depends on it, because it does. And when we can listen to our kids and we learn the language of the heart, something happens for them without us even doing anything. We don't have to fix things. We don't have to change things. But when we can listen to them in a way that they feel heard and validated, it really empowers them. Right. And that's with anybody. That's even in an adult relationship. A lot of us are like, you're not hearing me. You're listening, but you're not hearing what I'm saying. Yes, right? 100%. Communication breakdown. Like, well, you said this. Yes, but are you hearing like what I'm, what I'm trying to come across to you? Like my message, that's because right. that's, that's right. what all we, that's all we want as human beings is to be seen and be heard and be understood, yeah. which, you know, human beings are so complex. <laughs> we are, <laughs> we are. You're right. Being heard, being seen, it helps us to understand and know that we are significant, that we matter that if we weren't here anymore, we would be missed, that we have something of value to contribute. And when we don't hear or we don't feel heard, when people don't listen well, then that's something that's absent in the relationship. So there are simple things that we could do to ensure that we are listening well. So I call, I, I believe that emotions are the language of the heart. Mm -hmm. So as we listen to kids and you can like, it's healthy communication principles are relevant regardless of who you're talking to and what age and what environment, but I'll just use kids as an example. Um, when we listen and we feed back to them, what we hear them say, right. And we, we include, and we attempt to label the emotion because kids don't naturally label their emotions. They speak with emotions, but they don't really speak about them. Mm -hmm. So when we start to listen like my daughter, she was on the way to school um, and dance class, her first dance class. And she's like, daddy, she, she's intuitive. So she's like, daddy, I'm really scared about going to class. And I was like, well, what are you afraid of? She's like, well, what if they don't like me? What if they don't want to be my friends? I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see why you're scared. So she mentioned it and then I repeated it. Mm -hmm. I repeated it like she was able to paint a picture and I'll be like oh okay I get it I see why you're scared because remember if you picture this thing although it hasn't happened your body doesn't know that it hasn't happened your body's picking up on this 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 imagery and it's buying into it I said okay well what if you had a teacher who's really nice and she knew like a lot of her friends a lot of the kids are new and they'd be afraid too and what if she helped them to be nice and to, to become friends? How would you feel then? And she was like, I feel good. 
I feel so much better, Daddy. <laughs> Thanks, right? I right. mean, it's not always it's not always that simple, but if only. <laughs> if only, right? It, it it gives us good practice and get ready for the more challenging moments. But it it's sometimes it's that kind of presence that we get to be. We don't have to change it as much as we can help them to and to tolerate what they're feeling and maybe even get as far to, to picture something else, picture something different. Right. Right. And that's um, something that, you know, you validate their feelings, validate. And that's with anyone like, I, you know, especially with kids, it's like, so you're feeling like this or that and it helps them. Or sometimes I'll ask my kids like, well, how does that make you feel? And then uh, a lot of times when they're having an argument, because they always say have kids in in pair, like in even numbers for reasons. Cause I've got three. I'm like, missed the memo on that one. Uh, so there's always the dynamic with three. It's like when I have two, they're, they're pretty good. And then when I have the third one, it's always, there's not a lot of games that you can play with three kids. And so without being like a monkey in the middle or whatever. And so, uh, it'll be, you know, trying to put them in the other situation where it's like, how would it make you feel if this happened to you? Well, do you think that that's how they feel? Yeah. I said, well, then what would make you feel better and try to give them very realistic reasons and tendencies, because it's, it's hard to just think of like a big broad spectrum, especially with younger ones. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that when we do things like that, we actually help them engage with empathy. Mm. and that's uh, that's a gift it's like one of those things that we get to do with them we get to help them experience what it might be like from the other perspective and that is that's a gift that's going to benefit their relationships as they get older um so we don't want to overlook these really small yet significant things that we can do every single day yeah absolutely absolutely so when, when you have people come to you or your program, for instance, where are, where typically are you finding where those individuals are and how, like, what do you help them with and what's their end? Like, what could they expect as a result of that? Certainly. A lot of the times parents come to me when they feel tired and burnt out and they're scared and they've tried everything. And um, we walk through a process where we, depending on how intense their concerns are, because that's one of the things we look at. Um, so the level of intervention and directiveness that we take is going to be um, determined by the level of risk of harm to the child, mm -hmm. right? So especially when we're talking about, if we're talking about something as significant as self-harm, right, our approach is going to be very different than, well, they just won't go to school today, or they just won't clean up, they won't do what I want them to do, right? When the risk is low, we can afford to go slow and use questions to really harness motivation, right? Whereas mm -hmm. when the risk is high, it's important for us to be prepared to take action and be more directive. Um, so we, if the concern is high, we we kind of go that route. But quite often, when parents really don't know what to to do and where to start, we dial it back, 
during that first initial conversation, I, I have a, a 30 minute next step consultation with people that's free. And I encourage people to just, you know, take that and let's figure out where we want to start. What's the next step. And by the end of that conversation, parents feel so much clearer on what it is, not only that they can do, but what they're going to do. Right. Because a lot of the times we, like we mentioned earlier, our concerns are so big that we lose sight of the actual child in front of us and what the, their behavior actually means. So I like to explore, um, in week five of the program, I talk about exploring motivation, right? We wanna understand what's contributing to the decisions that they're making. And ultimately, there's usually something good, right? There's something good that's there. As human beings, we, we don't like to feel unsafe, we don't like to feel insignificant, and we don't like to feel vulnerable and powerless. And quite often, the behaviors that we're concerned about, they're trying to save themselves from these things. Mm -hmm. And when we see it, we're like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. You're avoiding this because you're feeling this. Oh, I get it. And then we can come alongside them because anxiety, it gives us tunnel vision and we don't see the many options that we have to empower ourselves. And that happens with our kids. So then we can come alongside them and say, okay, if I'm reading this correctly, this is what you're concerned about. Okay, so what options do you have? And then they start to think of options and then they're like, okay, well, let's try this, right? And then we come alongside them and we partner with them and then you start to see movement right? Not that we pushed them, not that we forced them, but we came alongside them and we heard them in, in, in a really empowering way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's basically where, I mean, all parents feel that way. All parents, I think there's nothing, parenting's not perfect. And like the, the opportunity that I had to get a parenting coach was court ordered, but still in order for him to agree to one. I had to, too. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm not a perfect parent. If someone else can help me, then why not? Like, I'll take all the help I can get because I, I, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor and I have to navigate all these different things. And not just being a parent without divorce and without working and all the things is hard. So when you bring in all those other stressors, it just piles on and then you end up uh, projecting onto your children. Um, my question for you is what are your thoughts on the parent showing emotion in front of the children? Because the parents are supposed to be the safe place, right? If mom's okay, then we're all okay. So they usually check, at least in my experience they're if mom's good, we're good, safe. And so it was one of those pillars that I was, I've always had to, whether I was okay or not, it was like, nope, we're good. As long as everyone's safe, it's a very big thing to bring to the, you know, every day. And a lot of us come from a culture that emotion is bad, right? Um, depending on how old your parents are. So when you do show emotion in front of them, do, is it still seen as weakness through a child's eyes or is it a good thing or does it increase their anxiety and then they worry like what's right, your view right. so knowing myself and knowing what i know about emotions i know there's a whole range 
of emotions that we can feel and we can experience. I mean, you could be in so much pain that you can't even talk, that you can't even, like, you can't even cry. Like you are a, a mess on the floor, right? I think that kind of experience, if you can not necessarily do that in front of them. <laughs> right, right. That's, right? that's probably that, extreme. That, that might be a good, I, might be a good Unless idea. it's like it happened as your kid was in front of you, right? Then that's exactly, a different scenario. But exactly, if, yes. exactly. Yes. Um, but generally speaking, I think it's good to be able to express and articulate what's happening for us without, you don't need to go into all the details about what's going on. Um, but one of the things that I, I, I really believe in, there's, and I, and I encourage people to journal, I have this resource for journaling, it's really helpful, the way that I encourage people to do it. I encourage them to increase their awareness, increase their tolerance, and increase their intentionality right? Because a lot of times we come from cultures where we don't have experience of being okay with feeling emotions. So we haven't built the ability to tolerate that emotion and be intentional in the moment, right? It's like, I'm feeling this pain, but I can't be intentional with this pain. So I just lash out or I just shut down. Whereas the more we can learn to be aware and to tolerate that pain, then we can actually walk and talk ourselves through it. So when we are upset, we can highlight for our kids, you know, I'm really just upset. I've had a really long and hard day. I'm labeling the emotions. But then I'm also saying, and I know that I'm, I'm going to be okay. This is just me expressing what I'm feeling. So you have both. Your children aren't left thinking, oh my God, mom's going to die. I need to jump in and save her. It's more mm -hmm. like, oh, mom's having a rough moment. Okay but she's going to be okay. And they can still exercise that empathy and be like, is there anything I can do? Um, you know, so there's, there's room depending on the age and the development of the child. But I think modeling that ability to walk and talk ourselves through, and it may take several passes. You might be able to say, you know what, I'm really upset and I can't really find the words, you know, to explain it at the moment. But when I do, I'll, I'll follow up with you and I'll, and I'll, and I'll let you know. Uh, mm -hmm. but I'm going to be okay. And I think that that's where I land with it. Right. So that, I mean, makes complete sense because they, just like we name their, their emotions, we have to name ours to explain it as it could look very differently to them. For instance, for me right now, personally, I'm dealing with my anxiety over Christmas break. This will be the first Christmas that I won't have them on Christmas morning. I'll get them for Christmas Eve, but there's a lot of back and forth that's going to happen. He'll get them for about seven days. And then I get them for about a day and a half for, for um, Christmas Eve. And then they go back for Christmas Eve night and then do Christmas day. And I get them back a few days later. It's going to be a lot of back and forth. So that's a lot for them. And that's more of a, a, inconvenience when it comes to scheduling type situation, right? That's just frustrating. But then you've got the anxiety of like waking up on Christmas morning without my kids and not being able to really, cause I don't get to talk to them every day when they're at dad's. I only have scheduled calls and that's, a, that's probably will be the longest they've been away from me other than like a three day now, five day for Thanksgiving stint. So there's a lot of anxiety riding around that. And 
how not to make them feel sad because it's Christmas. They're still going to get Christmas. They'll be at dad's, but not experiencing in the morning with like, I don't know what I'm going to do that morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting. I, 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 quite often there are a number of emotional experiences that we're having all balled into one. So it, I think it's this great benefit in to be able to being able to tease them apart. So there's the anxiety where you're worried about what it's going to look like. You're not sure what it's going to feel like. And you're thinking, you know, sometimes maybe even the worst, but then there's this reality about grieving. Mm. It's a grieving process. There's, there's loss here. And this loss is significant. I think it's important to acknowledge that and to mm -hmm. understand, oh, there's a grieving process that I'm going through and that I'm growing through, right? So to allow yourself to say, okay, this is a loss for me, right? And to be able to, to, to tolerate that and to think through that. Again, I, I journal, I, I'm, I'm writing everything out and I'm processing okay this is what I'm this is what I've lost um so I I, I think ultimately what helps us grow through loss is yes not just going through it but realizing what do I think that I'm losing and what conclusions am I coming to about my loss so the mm. loss is real but the conclusions that we tend to come to those might not be so true. Like knife will never be good again. Like I'll never, you know, I'll never this and I'll have to do this and this is gonna, right? Those are the conclusions we come to and they make grieving much more complicated to get through, mm -hmm. right? Because, and that's where, you know, it doubles back to the anxiety and even depression because there's a sense of loss that we, not only experience, but that we kind of, we double down on and re reinforce. But when you're able to pull it apart, and sometimes that's why it's beneficial to connect with somebody who's not in the mire with you, who can support you and be like, okay, I'm hearing this. I'm right. I get that. And I feel that. Have you considered this? Right. Mm -hmm. And does take time, but time alone doesn't heal emotional wounds. That's no. not the way it works, right? No, uh, no, you know. no. We've learned this now. <laughs> exactly. uh, the way the way I'm I am trying to to look at it is, I've got three extra days to get Santa under control. Like <laughs> actually, like my deadline <laughs> isn't as strict stringent right now because I'll have to have I'm gonna do a little bit of of a of a Christmas Eve, right? But I don't have to do the big show pony show till the 28th right. at noon. So I have three extra days. Maybe there's some sales. I'm trying to think of it as like, I got a couple extra days, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> definitely, kind of definitely the, the, the positive or beneficial sides and looking at that positive side too, for <laughs> sure, for sure. So yeah. I mean, why not? Right. You're trying to make lemons out of lemonade and so to speak. Right. So and it will get better as it goes. So, um, it's just a girl. It's the first, it's the first, right. It's always yeah. got your first holiday. You've got the first X, Y, Z. And so it's like ripping off the bandaid and then growing from the experience and knowing, okay, this was okay. This wasn't okay. I probably need to work on that a little bit better for the next time and use it as a growth situation. Yeah. And that ties in 100% with the idea that I'm going to be okay. 
I'm going to come out of this and go through this and come out stronger. So definitely seeing the the highlights and the silver lining, that's a good thing to do. It's it's just <laughs> as important um, as being able to recognize and validate and empathize with your own pain and say, okay, I am grieving here. Like they're both important. I think sometimes we we rush on to the silver lining without giving enough space for, oh, oh this is what I this is what I'm grieving. Okay. Mm. I get it. I get it. I get it. Right. Cause divorce is like a death. It's it's you go through the process, you go through all the emotions and you're learning how to do life without that person, just like a death. Like you have to learn how to do things without the person that possibly passed away or the person that's not involved anymore. And you're learning each time. And it's the same exact thing. Yeah. 100%. And then you, you have these reminders and you get triggered by (laughs) center. Yeah. That is another episode all (laughs) together with the triggers. I can say, (laughs) For right. sure, for sure. And that's one of the things I talk about in in, in the art of a genuine apology. Um, there's a there's a section about forgiveness that I think people don't really also see. There's a there's this parallel process between grieving and forgiving, right? And when 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 we hurt and when there's anger, there's usually loss. And when there's loss, there's room. For us to forgive and a lot of people have some really understandable hang-ups with forgiveness because they think forgiveness means I'm letting the person off the hook I'm saying it's okay and they think it's about the other person they think it's for the other person but similar to grieving forgiveness is really for you mm. It is about you because at the end of the day, when we experience loss, we come to these silent conclusions. We, we, we sometimes we think, you know what? This person robbed me of this and my life is going to never be the same. But we also think my life is never going to be what I want it to be. I'm not going to be happy. These are the silent conclusions. But when we are like, um, no, it's going to be different, but it's going to be good it's gonna be wonderful then we don't have a reason to hold on to the anger and the bitterness sure Mm -hmm. we had an expectation you didn't meet the expectation yeah I'm pissed but my life like it's not okay what you did but I'm okay (laughs) right right Right. because you've got the forgiveness and you've got the boundary setting like those are different like you can forgive you set boundaries thresholds that's right. And then That's it's a right. whole process there, right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was amazing. And your, your voice is just so soothing by the way. So like guys call Dr. <laughs> Andrew, like it's so like therapeutic. It's great. I feel like it's amazing. And, um, I, I just really enjoyed our conversation and I really appreciate you giving us some insight and, and really sharing a lot of uh, ways that we can um, try and maneuver, especially through the holiday season uh, is it's very stressful and um, lots of things that we think might happen. And then we are anxious about. Um, and so how can we work with you and how can the listeners find you and follow you and keep up with things? Um, oh, sure. Doing? Yeah. 
coachdrew.ca. That's my website. And there are links all over. So you can schedule, you know, your, your, your free 30 minute consult. Um, if you're looking at parenting, um, and then you can also email me at info at coach drew. Um, I, I, I exist to, to help. So, um, it'd be an honor. I love it. And all those links will be in the show notes for the listeners to, to find and find you. And I encourage the listeners to, to give us feedback, contact Dr. Andrew, talk, contact me and see what really resonated with this conversation, because there's so many things that came out that so many places we could go. So I think we might need to do a part two sometime and, and really dive into some other things because you just have so much knowledge and you have such an ease to how you explain it. So it's wonderful. And I really appreciate being here on the show. I appreciate it. It's an honor. I would love to come back for sure. Wonderful. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much again. And for those of you who need some Dr. Andrew in your lives, or you need some parenting help, please, please, please check out the show notes, go uh, reach out and get that 30 minute free um, consult with him. And uh, thank you again for being here and, and uh, sharing, sharing your, your stuff with us. My pleasure. And thank you again for listening to another episode of the chaos and cookies podcast. We'll catch you on the next one and please give as much feedback, go write and review and uh, see y'all on the next one. Thank you for listening to the chaos and cookies podcast. If you want more goodies and friends to share them with follow the crumbs to the Facebook group or visit the chaos and cookies website to grab my sweet secrets on how to calm your cookies. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. See y'all next week for another episode of chaos and cookies.